Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality rooted in scripture and dependent on God's spirit. Our Encountering Jesus series explores significant interactions that people had with Jesus in the New Testament. We see through these encounters just how deep His compassion is, witness His power and gentleness, and how encountering Him changes lives. Please continue listening for today's message. This morning's reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 22 to 38, and it's the English Standard Version. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people and they look like trees, walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and, rebuked, and began to rebuke him. By turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would have saved Sorry, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here this morning, and it is my joy and privilege uh, to begin a new uh, sermon series uh, in the life of Common Ground that we have entitled Encountering Jesus. For the next term, we are gonna have our hearts and eyes fixed on Jesus, and more particularly on how Jesus interacts with different individuals, people from different backgrounds, with different needs and different questions. And as we go through the series, what we are gonna enjoy and appreciate is how personally and powerfully and counterintuitively Jesus interacts with each individual. 
If you are here this morning and you are investigating uh, the Christian faith, this is the perfect series for you because you're gonna be able to investigate Jesus uh, firsthand and unfiltered. If you are new to your Christian faith, we can't think really of a better series to help establish you uh, in the Christian faith. Uh, It is truly foundational to reflect on who Jesus is. If you're here and you've been uh, a Christian for some length of time, but if you're honest, actually, uh, you found your love for the Lord waning. We, We honestly think that having front row seats to Jesus will rekindle your faith like nothing else. And if you are a seasoned Christ follower, uh, well, I don't need a pitch to you, right? You, you, you can't wait to get started. So, so, so let's dive into Mark chapter eight. And I wanna look at this passage under three headings, an encounter, an exchange, and a foundation. An encounter, an exchange, and a foundation. Let's begin with an encounter. Verse 22 begins with Jesus and his disciples going into the village of Bethsaida and a group of people meeting them. Uh, Now, it's interesting uh, to note that the moment that Jesus enters this village, uh, there are needs placed upon him. My wife, Anna, grew up in Brighton in uh, the south coast of England. And in the town that she grew up in, there were occasions when an Indian guru would come to town and book out either a town hall or an auditorium. And when these Indian gurus were arrived, their their followers uh, would come and visit and uh, would enter the, the hall or auditorium and would bring flowers and notes and trinkets. And it's just worth noting that when Jesus Christ walked the earth, people didn't bring him flowers they didn't bring him notes and they didn't bring him trinkets. When Jesus walked the earth, people brought the blind and the sick and the dying. And that's what we find right here in Mark chapter eight, verse 22. The moment Jesus enters this village, a group of friends bring a blind person to Jesus and they beg him to touch their blind friend. Now, it's a wonderful thing for friends uh, to bring you to Jesus. Maybe you're visiting today because some friends brought you to church. It's a wonderful thing to do. But I want us for a moment to put ourselves in the shoes of this blind person. Because my guess is this would have been a very uncomfortable moment. His group of friends kind of drag him into a village. He's not really sure where he is. There's kind of a lot of commotion. He's meeting somebody that he's never met before and he doesn't really know what's gonna transpire next. It's a very uncomfortable moment. And what starts off being uncomfortable turns awkward very quickly because this person that he doesn't know that his friends wanna introduce him to grab him by the hand and takes him out of this village all by himself. I mean, this, this is super uncomfortable. He doesn't know this guy. This guy's taking him away from the people that he does know because he's blind. He can't orientate himself uh, to where he is. And the next thing he hears is, <laughs> This guy that he's never met before, that he doesn't know, that people are really keen for him to meet, spits in his face. And I I don't care from what culture you come from or from what country you're from, if somebody spits in your face, that is like uber offensive, right? Jesus spits in his face. Verse 23 says, he spat on his eyes and laid his hands on him and asked, do you see anything? But before this blind guy has an opportunity to be offended, 
something starts happening with his eyes where he actually can start to see, although partially. And in verse 24, we read, he looked up and said, I, I, I see people that, that they look like trees walking. He is, he is partially healed. Through going with this carpenter from Nazareth outside his village and being spat on, he goes from being completely blind to partially healed. We are then told that Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Friends, this is an incredible moment. This is unbelievable. This guy wakes up blind. He's got no idea of what is about to unfold this day. His friends rock up. They're really excited about this carpenter from Nazareth that's praying for people. They drag him off. This guy takes him by the hand. He is partially healed and then he is fully healed. This is remarkable. We're not told that he was blind from birth, but we can assume it. And when Jesus says, don't go back into the village, go straight home, my guess is he gets to see his mom for the very first time. My guess is that he gets to see his dad for the very first time. This guy wakes up blind, but for the first time will blow out the candle himself before he goes to bed. This guy woke up utterly dependent on other people caring for him and looking after him. But in a single encounter with Jesus, this guy's life is transformed forever. So firstly, an encounter. Secondly, an exchange. What happens next with the disciples is actually like a reenactment of the events that have just transpired. Just like Jesus took the blind man to a secluded place in order to clarify his vision, so Jesus does the same with his disciples. On the way from Bethsaida to Caesarea Philippi, Jesus begins to draw out his disciples for the purpose of clarifying their vision. And in verse 28, we read the following. On the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist and others Elijah and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Friends, the two great themes that run through the Gospel of Mark are who is Jesus and how do people respond to him? Who is Jesus? What is his actual identity? And how do people respond to who Jesus is? And what we find here is that this grand theme of who Jesus is comes to a crescendo here in Mark chapter eight. This issue of who Jesus is becomes the major issue. Jesus eyeballs his own disciples and says, who do you say that I am? It is a critical question for them to answer, but it is a critical question for us to answer. This moment is in fact a defining moment in the Gospel of Mark. N.T. Wright says, if we can discern correctly the identity of Christ, we can look back on the first eight chapters and we can make sense of it. And we can look forward from Caesarea Philippi to Jerusalem and actually understand the events that are going to transpire. It is a critical question, but just like today, there's so many different views on who Jesus is, so in Christ's day. 
They knew that this Jesus was powerful in word and deed, like one of the prophets. They knew that there was something special about him, but they stopped short from his true identity. They said, well, he's like John the Baptist, he's like Elijah, he's like one of the prophets. But Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, nails it on the head when he says, you are the Christ. You are the long-awaited Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the King. The, 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 the king to end all kings, the true king, the king who's gonna put everything right. You are nothing less than God himself. Friends, the Christian message isn't a message about a good guy who did some good things, but then it all ended up going really wrong and bad at the end. That, that is not the message. Sunday meetings are not a gathering to remember a really good dead guy. No, 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 the Bible is clear that Jesus was no ordinary man. He wasn't simply a teacher or a prophet or a healer. He was way more profound than that. He was nothing less than God himself becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us. He was nothing less than God himself coming to save and rescue us. And friends, if we believe that, if we log that, if we understand that, it gives a profound weighting to the events that have happened in Mark up until this point, but it gives a profound weighting to the events that are about to happen from Caesarea Philippi to Jerusalem. Confuse Christ's identity and you confuse everything. Now, please follow me carefully here. Moving from a understanding of not being sure who Jesus is to actually embracing the fact that Jesus is who he claimed to be God himself, the God who became flesh to dwell amongst us, is like going from being completely blind to being partially sighted. Now, if you're completely blind to partially sighted, there's been a significant thing that's happened in your life. If you knew somebody that was partially sighted and then goes blind, you know how limiting their life becomes. To be, to be partially sighted is to be able to actually do quite a lot of stuff, more than you would imagine, but certainly not all that you would want to do. And friends, discerning the true identity of Jesus is like going from being blind to being partially sighted. You've had an, a massive, infinitely significant improvement, but it isn't the whole deal. And so when Jesus discerns that his disciples really have worked out that he is the Messiah, when they've logged that, when they've established that, Jesus then fills out the next gap. And the next gap is, what is the mission and mandate of Jesus? What is the reason and the purpose that he has come? So these guys log the fact that Jesus is in fact God himself. Now Jesus is gonna tell them about his mission and his mandate and it is gonna shock them. In verse 31, we read, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. 
and he said this plainly. Now friends, let's just think about this for a moment. Finally, the disciples have discovered that Jesus is in fact God himself who's become flesh. He is the true Messiah. He is the anointed king. And, and, and they're like super excited about that, right? They've been under Roman occupation. Jesus is the king, not just the king of Israel, king of the world, king of the universe. And we've worked it out and they are super excited. They are so excited because like, man, we can't wait for your kingdom to come and take over this place. And they're busy looking at, at different spots in uh, Jerusalem, different mansions that they can have in Jerusalem. And he's not just the king of Israel, he's the king of the world. So we're just not looking at venues in Jerusalem. No, 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 no. We're looking at some pads in Rome as well that we are gonna be moving into. We can't wait for this to happen. We're part of the inner circle. We're part of the cabinet. We're taking over and we, we wanna find our pads, our places that we're gonna stay. We can't wait. And Jesus, Jesus pulls the 12 together. He pulls his close circle together and says, here's the guys, you got who I am. You've understand that I'm the true Messiah, that I'm the God himself has become flesh. Here's the deal. Here's how it's gonna roll out. Are you ready? Get your papyruses ready. Here it is. This is how it's gonna roll out. I'm gonna be rejected. You got that? Rejected. I'm gonna be arrested. And then I'm gonna be executed. Have you got that? Have you got that? Rejected, arrested, executed. And they're like, what? What, what are you talking about? You've just told us that you're the Messiah. You've just told us that you're God Himself. This is crazy. What are you doing? And Peter pulls him aside and he's like, dude, what are you thinking? Embrace your true identity, you're God. You were the one that taught us to pray. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth. That's here as it is in heaven. So can we like see your kingdom come on earth? Can we actually see you establish world domination? Can you flex please Jesus? Can we actually see you take control? Come on, dude, what is wrong with you? Show, show them who's the boss. But Jesus knew that he must suffer. Jesus knew that he must die as a ransom in order that we might be rescued and forgiven, which is why Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not set in your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And the other disciples are like, whoa, what is going on here? For the anchorman friends amongst us, this is like the wrong burgundy moment where he goes, boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand. I mean, we've gone from Messiah to get behind me, Satan. It's like, whoa, what's going on with Peter here? This, 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 this is crazy. But Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms, friends, you cannot just simply discern my true identity and then ignore my mission and mandate. You cannot do that. You cannot just say, yeah, we, we love the idea that you're ruling and reigning, but don't give me this rejection, this arrest, uh, this execution gig. Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms, this is the very reason why I've come. I've come to earth to down the cross. I've come to earth to be the sin bearer. I've come to earth to be the sacrificial lamb. I've come to earth to be put on the hook so that you can get off the hook and you dare not stop me from doing it. So firstly, we have an encounter. Secondly, we have an exchange. And finally, we have a foundation. Having established his true identity, having communicated what his actual mission on planet Earth is, Jesus then pulls the crowd together and says to them, dudes, here's the bottom line. If 
any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. For who would ever save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. For what does a profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? And what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Having established his identity, having established the very reason why he's coming to planet Earth, he calls the crowd in, it's now bigger. And he's saying, guys, here's my manifesto. Are you ready for it? Have you got it? I need you to deny yourself. I need you to die to the ways of the world and I need you to follow me wherever I go. I need you to deny yourself. I need you to die to the ways of the world and I need you to follow me wherever I lead. And some of you are looking at me and like, are we really gonna go there at the beginning of January? We go in there. Stephen, couldn't have you chosen a nice little psalm, a fluffy psalm to think about all the nice things that happened last year and let's imagine that that happened this year. Are we really going, deny yourself, die to the ways of the world and follow me wherever you go we are? And I get the groan, right? They, they, they groaning when they're hearing this. This guy's just claimed to be the king who's come, the king to end all kings. And now he's talking about denying yourself and dying to the ways of the world and following him wherever he leads. You kind of feel what the people feel like who will take off from Cape Town International Airport this evening to fly to London Heathrow. And at six o'clock tomorrow morning, they will get, get a it's uh, 10 minutes to landing and uh, the weather on the ground is overcast gray and drizzly and two degrees. If you've ever been on that flight before, the whole plane groans. Ugh. I've gone from 28 degrees and long summer days to cold, drizzly and wet. Ugh. And these crowd listening to Jesus where he does the big pitch, deny yourself die to the ways of the world, follow me wherever I lead, they would have groaned. And if they groaned 2,000 years ago, we are definitely groaning here. Why? Because nobody ought to tell us what to do, right? Tim Keller says that modern people, the way that they organise their life is that they look inward and they discern their wants, needs and desires and then they look up and they told their world to rearrange itself in order to fit in with our wants, needs and desires. And nobody's allowed to get in the way of our wants, needs and desires, not even God. Not even God can tell us what to do. So the idea that there's somebody calling us to deny ourselves and to die to the ways of the world and to follow him wherever he goes is just crazy. A 2013 Stanford University study pointed out that if you want to mobilize people to any change of behavior, you must show how this change of behavior will benefit them personally. Appealing to people to change their behaviour for the benefit that it will give a community or society simply doesn't work. One of the illustrations they used in the 2013 study was that if you want to mobilise people to recycle, don't, don't try and motivate them by showing how recycling will benefit their suburb or city or the world. People just aren't interested in that. You must show them how recycling will benefit them personally. Now, why is this a problem? 
Well, it's a problem because at the heart of Christian maturity is a willingness on our part to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for Christ. Part of maturing as a Christian means that we, under the empowering of the Holy Spirit, will say no to our wants, our needs, and our desires. And in fact, we will rearrange our life in order to fit with Jesus's mission and mandate. And friends, if you're not willing to do that, then the strong likelihood is that you are spiritually stuck. You've you've kind of seen Christ's identity. You, you, You get the fact that he's God who's become flesh, but you're not really willing to embrace his mission and mandate. And friends, if we don't improve our sight, we will eventually be, we will eventually stall. Maybe some here this morning have spiritually stalled. If, if, if you're honest, maybe some here this morning haven't just spiritually stalled, but you've actually spiritually regressed. And what you're actually passing on to the next generation is a watered down Christianity, which is God on my own terms. I'm committed to God to the degree that God improves my life in the here and now. Don't don't sell me, you really need to pursue God because in the end, in the sky, by and by, it will benefit me. No, 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 no. My version of Christianity is this. I follow Jesus to the degree that he enhances my life in the year and now. And if he doesn't, God bless you, keen beans, but I'm curating my own life. Thank you very much. If Jesus wants to onboard making much of my life, I'm really for that. But if he's asking me to sacrifice, if he's asking me to deny, if he's asking me to die, none of those those vocabulary exist in my world, thank you very much. And so we stall. And what happens is that we need help. What happens is that we need breakthrough. And the good news for us is that Jesus wants to help It's amazing. If you study Mark chapter eight carefully, what you discover is that Jesus already knew the contents of the 2013 Stanford study before it was ever written. Because if you study it carefully, what you discover is that Jesus appeals to your self-interest as the reason why you should genuinely and truly lay down your life for him. Jesus says in this passage that if you're trying to save your life, if you're trying to make your life all about yourself, becoming a bigger deal, earning more, getting more, if your whole life is about you, in the end, it will end up a mess. In the end, it will end in tears. But if you really want life as it truly is, if you wanted life the way God has created, the way that you were intended to live with genuine life joy and, and, and life to its fullest, then surrender your life fully. Give your, way, your life away fully and you will save it. And just in case you don't get it, Jesus is now just gonna give a, a uh, extreme example to show the wrong assumption of living for yourself. Jesus says, okay, let's do you living for you. You are so into you living for you. Let's go there. Let's go there. Let's imagine you being the most successful you. Have you got that picture in your mind? Jesus is more ambitious for you than you. Because Jesus says, let's imagine a world where you own everything. 
There are no longer stock exchanges around the world. Traders shut down overnight. There are no asset managers because you own all the assets. You've got everything. You own everything, every car, every house, every bit of jewelry. You've got everything. Jesus says, if you gain the whole world, if you do it all, but you don't have me, you've lost. He does the profit and loss for you. And if you've got every asset in the world in your asset register, but you don't have Jesus, you've lost. He's saying, Jesus is saying to you, I'm way more ambitious for you than you are. You're settling for some little version of like a 10% better life than you're currently living, but I'm way more ambitious than that. I'm gonna offer you a life that is better than you having everything. I'm offering you something better than that. If you, if you would surrender, if you would give yourself fully and totally to me, you will come into a kingdom life that cannot be matched. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. He says, the more that uh, we uh, get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take over, the more truly ourselves we become. Our real selves are all waiting for us in him. The more I resist him and try to live on my own, the more I become dominated by my own upbringing and surroundings and natural desires. In fact, what I so profoundly call myself becomes merely a meeting place of trains of events which I never started and which I cannot stop. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favourite wishes every day, death to your whole body in the end. Submit with every fibre of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing, nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin and decay. But look for Christ and you will find Him and with Him everything else thrown in. Elsewhere, Lewis says, put first things first and second things are not suppressed but enhanced. When we put God first, when we truly surrender to Him, the secondary things in our lives are not suppressed but enhanced. Friends, can I ask you a question this morning? Will you allow Jesus to pastor you and guide you at the start of 2024? Will you allow Jesus to pastor and guide you at the start of this year? Friends, what honestly, what is your vision for 2024? What is your vision? Is, 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 is it about uh, making more and getting more and becoming a bigger deal? Is that what it's about? Or is 2024 about seeing Jesus clearly and really fully surrendering to Him? Friends, if your vision for 2024 is all about yourself, even if your wildest dreams and plans work out, even if everything works out and everything goes your way, even if you gain the whole world, it is still fatally flawed. And the more into yourself you are, the harder it will be for you to see that. 
Jesus has got an invitation for you this morning. And that invitation is to get off the train of just living for yourself and putting your, your life first and it's all about you and getting on board his train, which is about making much of Jesus and about advancing the kingdom. He's saying, lay down your life and by laying down your life, you will find what true life really is. Now friends, in a moment, we're gonna speak about how we can practically do that. But before we do that, I don't want us to make a critical mistake because you can think, okay, well, the big call here is that we need to lay down our lives for Jesus. That's the big call. But friends, the option of laying down your life for Jesus is only possible because Jesus has laid down his life for us. We are only able to surrender and follow Jesus because Jesus truly laid down his life for us. And not in a figurative sense. No, 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 no. Jesus' body was literally broken. His blood was literally shed on the cross so that we can be ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Our followership and surrender to Christ is only because he has already sacrificed and, and surrendered himself for us. The Christian message is not obey, 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 and then you'll be accepted. No, it is you have been wonderfully and fully accepted through the finished work of Jesus so that you can now obey, obey. Friends, it may be that you're sitting here this morning and thinking to yourself, man, I really wanna do this. I really do wanna follow Jesus, but I just feel stuck. It seems beautiful, but I just, it just seems a bridge too far. Can I give you some practical counsel from our very first encounter with the blind guy? Because this blind guy comes from being in an incredibly difficult position to being fully restored. And there's some keys for us here that will help us get from a place of being spiritually stuck to a place of spiritual health. The first thing that I want you to notice about that blind guy was that he had friends that would bring him to Jesus. You are not gonna reach your redemptive potential as a person all by yourself. You're not gonna be able to navigate this yourself. You're not gonna be able to just dip in and dip out to the degree that it suits you. For you to come to a place of spiritual maturity and spiritual healing is gonna require friends. You need other people in your life who will get around you and genuinely care for you. You, people that know you, people that love you, people that will look out for you. So firstly, you need friends. Secondly, you need prayer. Secondly, you need prayer. Do you know why so many of these self-help books don't work? They give like great advice around certain stuff, but people read it and nothing changes. It's because people invariably, these self-help books ignore God. They, they, they ignore the reality of God, our need for God, and our need for God to break in. They ignore the component of prayer. These friends don't just bring um, their, their friend to Jesus and then just disengage. They bring their friend to Jesus and they beg Jesus to touch him. They beg Jesus to touch him, which means they're praying. They are crying out to Jesus for him to do an intervention. And friends, if we are gonna to come to a place where we are not spiritually stuck, we need to be those that receive prayer, that we allow God to break into our lives in a significant way. So firstly, friends. Secondly, prayer. Thirdly, honesty. This whole story in Mark chapter eight turns on amazing honesty by this blind guy. Jesus lays his hands on him and he goes from being completely blind to be partially sighted. 
Now, I wanna say that if you were completely blind and then able to see somewhat, you would have much reason to celebrate. And Mark 8 could have read very differently. It could have been Jesus laid his hands on him and this guy began to see something and went, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise God, I can see, I can see, it's amazing, it's incredible. And he would have gone around hugging trees and cutting down people, right? That, that, that's what would have happened. But he, he, didn't, he didn't fake it until he made it. He was honest. Jesus says, can you see any? It's like, yeah, like kind of, but it's like people are trees walking. I, I, I can see, but I can't fully see. And his honesty allowed God to deal with the problem fully. Friends, let's front up in Cape Town. We're the masters of faking it till we make it. And the front of the queue could be evangelical Christians who want to fake it till they make it. They haven't discerned that the gospel is, you've completely failed, you cannot save yourself, you utterly lost, you required nothing less than God to come and save and rescue you. Your weakness isn't the problem. Have you picked that up? If the message was, Jesus came to earth, to gather the morally, uh, the, the, the morally elite people, those who can morally outperform others, then we need to fake it, right? Because we all need to pretend that we morally elite. But if He's come for those that are sinners, lost, broken, with no hope other than God Himself rescuing Him, we should be the most honest community in Cape Town. But we're not, why? Because the gospel hasn't gone deep enough yet. The gospel hasn't gone deep enough yet. And so we think that the way that we get through is by faking it. And so we meet in small groups and how's, how's things? Everything's fine, have you noticed? It's amazing, I've been a pastor for a long time in Cape Town and everybody is always fine, but Cape Town isn't fine. There's a disconnect there. How's it going? It's fine, everything's awesome, everything's great. You never go to a life group where you say, how are things going? And people will say, actually I'm spiritually nowhere. I've actually been spiritually faking it. I desperately need help. And if you do, you then want to find another life group. <laughs> I'm not running to real, I didn't, I didn't want a real answer. Just fake it, we all fake it. And we just help each other when we need it, like practical help. But don't, don't give me emotional honesty. I have not signed up for that, thank you very much. Your burdens are you, do, do, do whatever you want. I mean, they've got pastors to have those kind of conversations, but not here. We don't do that here, please, please stop it. But friends, if we're not gonna be honest, we're not gonna get help. And we're just gonna stay the same. And it's just gonna be another year like last year. And then the fourth thing that we see is that this blind guy got a second touch. He got a second touch from Jesus. Arguably the greatest preacher of the last century, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that most Christians he meets are in between touches. They've had the first touch, they get that Jesus is God, but they haven't had the second touch. You know, when we read Mark chapter eight, what we discover here is somebody arguably making the most incredible statement in human history from a person, namely Peter. Peter says, you are the Christ. And in other gospels, Jesus says to him, flesh and blood haven't revealed this to you. The Holy Spirit has revealed to you that I'm the Christ. But this Peter, who nails it and gets the true identity of Jesus is the same Peter who is denying 
Jesus to a 12 year old. But he's also the guy who's standing up on Pentecost and preaching to thousands and birthing the church. What happened between the denial and the powerful preaching? Pentecost, there was a second touch. Friends, we are not gonna come into being the people God wants us to be without Jesus touching us again. Not just one touch, not just getting his identity, but a second touch that presses us in deeper into his plans and purposes. As a community, we are not gonna come into the redemptive purposes that God intends for us without us as a people being desperately open to a fresh touch from God that changes everything. He goes from being partially sighted to completely healed. And friends, healing is on the table. We bring brokenness, but Jesus has got healing. And when we bring honesty and brokenness to Jesus, Jesus can heal to bring us to a place of wholeness. And thus the kingdom of God advances. Friends, can we just be this community? Can we be a community of friends this year? Can we be a community of prayer? Like before we give in advice to people, can we just pray for people? Can we be a community of honesty? We don't need to fake it. And can we be a second touch community? Where it's not like, oh, he's saved, it's all fine, just, just, just work it out. No, 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 we desperately need God to come and to touch us afresh. Can I invite you to stand? I'm gonna pray, I wanna invite the band up and we are gonna create an opportunity to receive prayer this morning. There's a call on the heart of God for us to come to Him in a radical way. Jesus doesn't want us to rip, our, uh, rip ourselves off by settling for such small things. He's got something more and He's got something deeper and He's got something better. Let's just lift our hands up. Lord, we've all got our hands up. I've got my hands up because I need your work in my life. I need you to break in. I need, to, I need you to be more real. I need you to get me off the train tracks of living for myself and rather be living for you and your purposes and your kingdom. Lord, Lord we, we desperately need help. <laughs> Lord, we desperately need spiritual friends that are gonna bring us to Jesus. We desperately need prayer. We desperately need to be honest about where we're really at. And we desperately need a second touch from you. But we thank you, Lord, that you wanna help. I thank you, Lord, that you wanna meet us where we're at. I thank you that you wanna heal us. I thank you that you wanna reorder our desires. I thank you that you wanna give us a new identity. I thank you that you wanna propel us into your purposes. So I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would begin to touch all of our lives here today. Lord, I pray that you would touch the people that are saying, I don't want you to touch me, I don't wanna do this. Lord, I pray that you would go after their hearts. Lord, I pray for those that are fearful or uncertain. Lord, I pray for those that are resistant. Lord, I pray for those that are wary. I pray for those that are jaded. I pray for those that are cynical. Lord, I pray for those who have tried hard but fallen short. God, would you meet us? Would you meet us? Would you touch us? Would you ransom 
heal, restore, forgive us. Would you meet us where we're at, Lord? I pray for this.